Hi, everybody. It's time to get your tickets. The Mormon Expression Reception and Live Broadcast will be on August 6th. Get your tickets now. Welcome to another edition of Mormon Expression. I'm your guest host, Zilpha, and today I have the privilege of having a conversation with an, an old friend of mine from high school. His name is Nate, and um, we both lived in the same little Michigan town. And um, you were, how old were you when you moved there, Nate? I was 16. For my, I moved for my junior year in high school. Okay, so you were in your junior year. Was I was I going into ninth grade or eighth grade? I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't know. It seemed like we were always in the same grade, but I guess we were. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it was ninth. I think I was going into ninth grade. You were two years ahead of me. Um, okay. So you were there for my first year of seminary. Um, uh, so some things about you. You are um, very handsome, <laughs> I, I would say. And you are very intelligent. What was your score on the ACT? That always blew my mind. I have no idea. <laughs> it was really... It was either perfect or one-off. Anyway, very intelligent, very talented. Um, you play the piano very well, right? Yeah, that's my, that's my whole life is the piano. And something that probably... Um, People have already noticed is that you you laugh a lot and that you are kind of in love with life. At least that's that's how I remember you. You were always just happy and fun, and so that's basically um, my introduction for Nate. So going back to high school, um, before we get into kind of the the tougher things, I wanted to bring back some memories of some things that we used to do. When we went to seminary, we met at um, for a while in my dad's chiropractic office, um, a back room, and you used to play the hymns on this little keyboard, right? And you, Yeah, that thing was like so awful, but so great. <laughs> I know, you, you loved that. And then one time we found uh, an earwig. Yeah. And it was our mascot. We called ourselves the Houghton Earwigs, and we had it trapped under a plastic lid. <laughs> was it under a plastic lid? <laughs> something like that. Or was yeah. it a glass, like, canning jar? <laughs> Some, yeah, something. something like that. But we kept that earwig, and it was our mascot. <laughs> For a while. I don't know what happened to it. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, when you first moved to Houghton, you were absolutely in love with, with a girl. That's right. Joanne. That you met at, at a music, music camp. Yeah. Um, I mean, and you were, as far as we knew, head over heels for her. And I had... Yeah, it was, um, it was more the idea of her. I mean, looking back, that's, that's you know, what, what I think it was, is that it was just the idea of her. She was like a really spiritual person, and she was really sweet, and she seemed like the ideal... Mormon and she had a beautiful voice and so yeah I was 
I I was in love with the idea of her, and um, yeah, totally infatuated. Mm-hmm. And so we all knew you weren't available, even though everyone wished you were. <laughs> <laughs> and um, later, you had other girlfriends um, in high school. One of them had pretty large breasts. <laughs> <laughs> Samantha. <laughs> yeah, Samantha, and um, and she was older than you, and I could never quite figure that one out. Um, but I mean, I guess I did. The thing that I the thing that I thought was that you just thought she was pretty, you know, kind of a shallow relationship. Well, you you know what it was. I mean, and now I have like all this these years of perspective on it. But what it was with her, I think, is that um, other guys thought she was hot. Uh-huh. And I think you're right. It was because of the big breasts, right? <laughs> yeah. And she was pretty. She yeah. was very pretty. And it made me feel like, um, like you know, cool to have a girlfriend that everybody thought was hot. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you would carry but, around her picture in your wallet and show it off at swim meets and <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah, I just it, I I liked it because it made other guys jealous. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll come back. But we we'll never come back did to... anything. Yeah. I always had the excuse that it was like against my religion. I was really uh, adamant that we didn't do anything sexual. Uh-huh. Well, I remember later, um, after you had, after you had come out and you told me about one time you were making out with her and I said, well, you know, didn't you like her breasts? And you said, no, they just got in the way. I wish she didn't have them. <laughs> I thought that yeah. was funny. Yeah. So in, in high school, um, kids were pretty mean to <clears throat> the Mormons in general. We'll start with that. Do you remember, do you remember, um, kids picking on Mormons just because they were Mormons? Yeah, and I think it was also because we were kind of evangelical, too. It wasn't like we just were quietly Mormon. I mean, especially me, I think, that I was, like, very vocal about the fact that we were Mormons. So it, I'm very you know. proud of it, too. So when they would come by and they'd be like, Mormon. Right. <laughs> we're like, um, so, yeah. But then, yeah. but then they would say other things that were more hurtful. Yeah, like that one guy. What was his name? Mike. Oh, you remember his name? Yeah, <laughs> yeah but you're right. That yesterday. is it. Yeah, what did he say to you? I, I couldn't quite remember that whole. He just called me a fag. He would call me a fag and like kick my feet so I would trip and stuff like that. Didn't it was you, awful. Didn't you punch him one time? I I think like I pushed him against the locker or something. Yeah. Or something. Yeah, it was really unlike me. Yeah. <laughs> But you just got so mad because he was such a jerk. And he, he actually used to call me Dyke, too. He did? Yeah. I didn't, know that. I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know what that was at first, but then I found out. Um, so, yeah, they were kind of jerks. But you took it especially hard. And, and in retrospect, that's understandable because it was something yeah, you were cause... struggling with and you didn't. Exactly. I didn't want to be gay. I knew I was gay. And I was trying so hard not to be gay, and I wasn't, you know, I hated that about myself. And then for somebody to taunt me and call me names and kick me, it was just really hard on me because it was like 
he knows, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not hiding it, you know. Mm-hmm. But so, I yeah. had no idea, so he was much much more perceptive than I was. Like, <laughs> actually, well, if he was calling you a dyke. Maybe he was just like, that's what he did—is call people homosexual or something. <laughs> maybe probably he, he was. Yeah. And that's how he dealt with it. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I re- I remember um one time in seminary. This is when they first came out with um. I don't even know if they still use this program, but the whole new um, seminary program with all the v- new videos, that was the first year that I started seminary. And anyway, we used to love those videos, and there was this one that had a um, a guy, and he, he got his mission call, and he and he went on his mission. He was riding around on his bike, and he had his tag on he was all proud and and the music was called to serve him in the background and you just cried and I mean I'd never seen you do that before and probably not since and so um, afterwards I asked you you know what what were you crying about because you know to me it seemed like a happy movie it wasn't one of those sappy ones Um, and you said that you really, really wanted to go on a mission and you weren't, you know, you were afraid you might not be able to. Right. I don't know if you remember that. I don't remember that particular moment, but yeah, I was always, I always really wanted to go on a mission and I was always scared that I would fail at it. Mm-hmm. Well, you you did do a lot of proselytizing in high school and had a little oh my bit of, God. <laughs> you had a little success. Tell us about tell us about that. Well, um there was this girl named Wendy and um there was just this, this big competition between me and the born again Christians as far as trying to win Wendy's soul. <laughs> <laughs> But, I, I yeah, never realized I, that there was a competition. Yeah, don't you remember, like, what was her name? Caroline? Caroline? Remember oh, Caroline? yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she, she was, like, you know, she was, like, giving uh, Wendy all the anti-Mormon literature at the same time, like, I was bringing her to church and stuff. So, yeah, it was a little bit of a... Wendy was kind of confronted with two different things, and she was trying to choose between them, and then... Eventually, she decided she wanted to join the church. So I baptized her. I don't know. I think it was our senior year, maybe. It was. Yeah, it was like towards the end of your senior year, it seems like. Maybe her mom wanted her to wait till she was 18 or something like that. Yeah, that seems right. And she's since left the church. Yeah, she converted to Catholicism. (laughs) Very odd. Well, her husband was Catholic, right? Right, right. Um, I don't talk to her that much, but when I do, she she seems like she's content with her life, so that's good. Um, let's see. Oh, yes. Well, going along with that, I mean, I never thought that you were just trying to win a competition. The way I saw it. No, 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 no. <laughs> it wasn't that. It wasn't that. It was just that's what it turned out to be, but it oh. was... It was because I love the church, and I sincerely believe she'd be happy if she became a member. Well, that's what I—that's what I sensed. Because you were always, you were so um, enthusiastic about the church, and you were so 
um, I, I wouldn't say in love with Jesus, but man, you loved Jesus and the whole, um, the whole idea of, of Jesus. It's funny you say that because I was just, you know, we were, I knew we were going to talk and I was just thinking if there was, if there was one thing that I miss about the church, it is that, that drive that it inspired me to want to be like Jesus. And, um, because I saw that as just unconditional love, learning how to be non-judgmental and love everyone. And now, you know, I've become, you know, you've become kind of cynical as you get older and you leave the church. But that's the one thing I miss is that pure desire I had that they taught me to, you know, love everybody for who they were and not to be judgmental and be, be willing to do anything for anyone. You know, I miss that. You were really good at it, too. I'm sure you still are, because I think it's part of your personality. Well, I mean, I, my friends will say, oh, I can only tell you this because I know you're the only one that wouldn't judge me for it, you know, that kind of thing. But yeah. I don't have that same, you know, my eternal salvation doesn't rest on that anymore. So right. <laughs> I don't have the same, like, intense focus on that. and The fervor. Maybe, yeah. Maybe, maybe you know, talking about it, maybe I can start thinking about it again a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I I feel that way, too, sometimes. Like, that's the, the one thing that I'm missing is that drive to really, you know, to keep trying to be perfect, even though it can drive people insane, and it, in a lot of ways it's not healthy. At least it's, you know, it's something to work for. Right, right. <laughs> Some, some spiritual direction. Yeah, exactly. So um, you went off to, to BYU and you you were majoring in piano performance. Um, right. What was your first year uh, at BYU like? I had a blast at BYU. Um, you know, I, you know, you know, friends say, "What was college like at BYU?" Thinking it would be so boring because we couldn't drink or whatever. But we found, I mean, the same as you and me, like, we could have fun jumping in puddles. <laughs> so we just had a great time. And the irony is, is that, okay, so we lived in Heritage Halls, which, you know, there's six people in one apartment. So I had, like, two different sets of roommates, so maybe ten different roommates, and at least five of them have come out of the closet since then. Really? Maybe like seven or something. Some absurdly disproportionate number of us ended up friends. And it was all random. It wasn't like you were friends beforehand. Well, like, the first set was random, but then, like, you know, I think the next year we kind of were able to choose or, you know, but still, it was just the... um, it was the difference in the way we thought. I mean, none of us ever said anything to each other about it at the time, you know? It was all perfectly innocent, but we were just different, you know? And we mm-hmm. were just attracted to each other because we were interested in music and we couldn't throw a basketball. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and we were artistic and we would decorate our room and just do crazy, crazy, crazy things and laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh. <laughs> Really so, fun. What was the when was the first time that you um, br- broached the subject of of you being gay to a church authority? 
It was president. So back in in high school. Yeah, it was soon after I moved to、um, Michigan. So you know, like on the outside, you guys saw this person that had this testimony and was for you know, but all that whole time I knew I was gay, and I was just, and I don't know if you could ever see that there was. Did I completely hide the torture? Did you ever see moments where you saw how tortured I was? Well, you know,、um, there was the the time you wrote this the song from the Psalm of Nephi. Oh yeah, right. And I thought that you were struggling like like most of us were with、um, you know masturbation and pornography, right, those kinds like, of things. Was always like. Um, symbolic of being gay, right? Because if I would masturbate, it was usually with some sort of gay fantasy, right? But、and、I so, had no idea. There was no way for me to know that. Why didn't you ever tell me? Um, because I don't know why. Because it was such a deep, dark, horrible, horrible secret. You know, because、uh-huh. when you're gay, it feels like that's who you are. It's the it's anchored into your whole being, right? Yeah. And that was Satan. So I felt like this is a horrible demon inside me, and that part was I didn't want to share that with most people. And the only reason I shared it was because I wanted help. Uh huh. So I wanted to talk a little bit more about the song that you wrote. So, so what, I wrote. Go ahead. Yeah, The Psalm of Nephi, which is really a great song, I thought, and you quoted from Second Nephi, chapter four, and I wanted to read a few of those verses because、um, that that is what you—that's how you felt at the time. Right.、Um, it says,、um, "O wretched man that I am! Yea, my heart sorroweth because of my flesh; my soul grieveth because of mine iniquities." I am encompassed about because of the temptations and the sins which so easily beset me, and when I desire to rejoice, my heart groaneth because of my sins. Nevertheless, I know in whom I have trusted. And then your chorus was, "Awake, my soul! No longer droop in sin. Rejoice, O my heart, and give place no more for the enemy of my soul." So you were like so so much fighting with yourself to. Uh, yeah, it was, and you know, I had never done anything with any guy. It was just that I knew that I wanted to,、mm-hmm. and I didn't want to, and it, so it was all purely an internal struggle, and、um, and that's why I finally broke down and told President. So I wrote him this letter that said. You know, just what I just said that I've never done anything, but I have these temptations. I don't want the temptations anymore. I want them to go to go away. So, what was his counsel? What did he suggest? He said that he was really impressed with me, that I even cared, and that most people who were 16 didn't even care about the church, or not to the degree that I did.、Mm-hmm. But I don't know that I would have been so. Um, religious without it, because it forced me to confront my beliefs, and you know everything that I've been taught my whole life was about family and celestial marriage and the purity of marriage and 
all of that. And that's really what I wanted. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I was literally afraid that I would not be able to get an erection if I got married to a woman. Mm -hmm. So it was both the attraction to men, but also the lack of physical attraction to women that terrified me. Right. So, so it's more. He, go ahead. Well, I was going to say so. So when you were with women, it was more like I was trying. You know, I was hoping. I was somehow fantasizing this, like I said, through the eyes of other guys <laughs> in uh, this weird way. Okay, yeah, you know? I can see that. So you uh, were planning on getting married, even though you you knew you were gay. I mean, as as a member of the church, is that what? I wanted to, but I was really scared to. Mm -hmm. So, and I wouldn't have if I hadn't, if, unless I had really felt like I wasn't having this issue anymore. Uh huh. So, how did you finally um, get to the point where you you were ready to serve a mission, and and you felt like you could do that? Um. So. Uh, when I got to BYU, I also told my, oh, and I had told my parents too. And um, what did, how, how did they respond? Like I wrote my mom a letter basically with the same thing saying, I don't know what to do. I need help. I need to go to a psychiatrist or something basically was what I was saying. Uh -huh. And, um, my mom was just like, you're not gay. Really? And she cried and cried and She's like, but I was like, but I'm trying to change. I don't want to, I'm going to change. I've never done anything. I'm just telling you because I don't know what to do. And, um, and my dad, you know, my dad came down later because my mom talked to my dad about it. And he was like, you know, when I was your age, there were some times I thought I might be gay. And then I grew out of it. Huh. So that was kind of sweet. I thought that my dad would like try to relate and be nice about it. Yeah. So, so then at BYU, I told my bishop when I got there, and they have like counseling to help you change your sexuality at the, BYU. They had it all set up and ready to go. Yeah, and they, uh, you know, I missed the like the church used to give people electroshock therapy or <gasps> shock therapy or something. And I missed that by like 10 years. I'm glad you God. missed that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God I missed that. But it was like, yeah, I, well, I met a friend, of, a friend came out to us actually one time and he said, I just want to tell you guys something about myself. So you understand who I am. I used to be gay, but I've changed my sexuality. And of course, he's out of the closet now. <laughs> but, mm -hmm. but at the time, I was like, okay, well, I want to see who you're seeing because I want to change my sexuality. So I went through this, like, therapy for it, and it was really pretty ridiculous. I mean, basically, they were like, well, you need to play more sports so that you can have, like, physical contact with men in the right way. You know, oh, so they they thought because you didn't play sports, you were missing out on that kind of camaraderie, like manly man touching and stuff like that. Right, right, and that's why I was desiring it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, they, it's it all seemed to boil down to whether we masturbated or not. So if I was able to not masturbate, it seemed to mean that I was changing my sexuality because I wasn't giving in to that physical thing, which. Now seems a little ridiculous, <laughs> but so that that, you know, that was the, the evidence 
that, that it was, was the evidence that I was changing. Right. And so how, how long did you have to go without masturbating before you, before you could serve a mis- mission? I, I think that once I had hit like six months or something. Six that... months? <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow. I think that's when I finally felt like I was ready to go on a mission. Oh my gosh. And I just talk about taking a loaded gun to the mission field. (laughs) (laughs) No kidding. Oh my gosh. um, So yeah. So then I, uh, I thought, oh well, I've changed. I feel straight. Um, And I thought a mission would just seal the deal. Mm -hmm. You know, if I worked really hard, then at the end of it, God would really bless me, and I would, everything would be gone, and I would be changed, and everything would be better. Right. So you, you got your call. Um, Which I was super excited about because I went to New Zealand and everybody who had been there on their mission just said it was so beautiful and amazing. And I was really excited to get to go to some place like exotic and beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then and um, I don't remember. Did you finish two years at BYU before you went on your mission? I did a year and a whole summer. Okay. So I was a senior when when you just were leaving for your mission. I was just going into my senior year. Of high and were school. we still in contact then? Yes. Okay, because I was away, but were we like, did we write letters or how, how yeah, were we Yeah, we wrote letters and we talked on the phone. Um, in fact, one time um, when we were talking on the phone, it was the end of my my junior year of high school. And I told you that I loved you, and you said that you couldn't love me in that way. Um, and I, I, I mean, I knew that already somehow, but, um, but I, I, yeah, I remember that conversation. But I did love you, Zelpa. I loved you to death. We had so much fun together. Like, um, I remember, do you remember when, like, we were 16, or you, I think you just turned 16 and you took me on, on your first date. Uh-huh. Do you remember that? Yeah. And we went out on a boat in Lake Superior, and they saw the sunset, and it was so beautiful. And it's one of my favorite memories of Michigan, actually. Oh. But yeah, I didn't have the romantic love for you, but that was not your fault, obviously. Right. Well, I wondered. <laughs> I mean, I, <laughs> I, I mean, it was hard for me to understand how how we could get along so well, um, and you, you know you not have more of an interest that way in me, but, you know, I thought just I I just somehow wasn't attractive to you anyway. And that was true, but I, <laughs> I wasn't thinking about it the right way. <laughs> right. So, yeah, so I went on my mission, and um, it was really, really hard at first um, because... I guess you never went on a mission, right? But, you know, everyone knows a mission is a struggle. It's really hard to find people to teach, and it tests your testimony. I mean, it really, you're really confronted with a lot of things. Um, And then it just quickly started to fall apart. Um, But it was just like I was in Michigan. Like, outwardly, I was doing great. And um, I baptized people, and... You know, my mission president called me a baptizing missionary, and my companions liked working with me, and they were always like, 
man, you work so hard and you're so, you try so hard to be Christ-like and, you know. Well, you were trying so hard. (laughs) And so, but inwardly, I was still having these awful struggles and it was devastating because I thought that if I went on my mission and I worked hard, I wouldn't be confronted with these feelings, that they would be quickly evaporating. And they only got worse. And um, on top of that, there was other doctrinal issues that I was confronted with that were really hard for me to deal with. And the main one was the race issue. And I don't, I don't know if you remember, but it bothered me even in high school. And I was always just trying to find a way to accept the fact that, you know, blacks couldn't have the priesthood until 1978. And it was hard for me to understand how my parents could have joined the church when they had, when, with that doctrine in place. It was just incomprehensible because my parents are not racist. Uh-huh. You know? They never, ever said anything racist. They have never said it my whole life, you know. Uh-huh. So and, how, how could they just accept that right but it became worse on my mission because you know the polynesians are considered lamanites mm-hmm. and so um you know like we'd be teaching some maori person or whatever and they'd be like all into it and really enjoying it and then we'd come back and they'd look me straight in the eyes and they'd be like why do i have dark skin and i'd be like oh shit, Somebody, well, I guess I would have said it, but I'd be like, oh, man, they, they heard, they found out this horrible doctrine about getting cursed with black skin. And I read the Book of Mormon probably 10 or 15 times while I was on my mission. And the more you read it, the more you realize it's all about how the Na- Native Americans were cursed because they were wicked so God gave the land to the Europeans and allowed them to, you know, allowed the genocide because they deserved it, because mm-hmm. they had rejected Christ. It became hard to deal with. And, like, there was this other time when um, I had this Maori companion, and we were, like, reading church pamphlets. And do you know the Three Degrees of Glory, that pamphlet? It's, like, um, really old. I, you know, it's, like... Melvin J. Ballard or something like that. I've probably seen it. But go and ahead. that's that pamphlet really lays out the whole thing about how, um, you know, the spirits were not valiant. This is where I think this really, this doctrine is really clearly stated that those who were not valiant in the preexistence were the ones that were born into dark skin. And, you know, here's my Maori companion. And there's this sentence in there that says something like, You know, why, you know, obviously people were more valiant because some people were born to the Hottentots in the South Seas or something like that. And others are born to beautiful, white, Latter-day Saint mothers. Mm -hmm. And my companion was reading that out loud to me. And I was just like, doesn't that bother you? And he was like, no. (laughs) And then he, like, laid down on his bed. And, like, ten minutes later, he's like, you know what? That really does bother me. Huh. And, but I couldn't... What I felt like was happening was that Satan was the one that was causing me to doubt. Like, this was like a test of my faith. 
And the only reason that I was having trouble dealing with it was because I wanted to be gay. And I was just looking for some excuse. You know, that's how I felt is that Uh Satan was just giving me some excuse to doubt the church. But the real reason was because I wanted to leave a church so I could be gay. Doing mental gymnastics. Right. Right. So, So, and then there was was this other time when I got, we did trade-offs with the APs. And um, I got back and we all got in a circle to pray, the four, you know, my companion and the two APs. And my companion says, and one of the APs is Polynesian, and my companion says in his prayer, please help us to find more white people to teach. Whoa. And like the, the APs left and I was like, what? Are you, I've never heard you talk. Did you say that in your prayer? Like, what is going on? And he's like, yeah, Elder T, we called him that because we couldn't pronounce his last name or whatever. So the Polynesian one, Elder T, he's like, yeah, Elder T told me that President Grant told him that there was direction from the area presidency that we should try to find more white people because there's a need for more good, strong priesthood holders in the South, you know, in Oceania. Uh More more leadership. Yeah. And if you look around, all the strongest ones are white, so we should try to find more white priesthood holders. Uh, And that was just... Awful. Yeah, you never told me about um, about any of these kind of issues. I don't even I don't remember you mentioning it much in high school, but you probably did. It was one yeah. of those things that I just never allowed myself to think about very right. much. Right. Um, and so, but what's really sad is that because I wanted to change so bad, I submitted to that direction. And I even prayed myself that we could find more white people to teach. And that was really a low point in my mission because I, at that point, something that I believed so strongly, because, you know, trying to be Christ-like, right? Love all people who cares what color their skin is, who cares what they're coming from, what their past is. Mm-hmm. And I denied that true belief of mine just with the hopes that, it would help me change my sexuality. Because you were being obedient. Because I was being obedient. So, um, do you want do you want to talk about um, the end of your mission? Yeah, so, um, you know, at the same time I'm starting to doubt the church, you know, I'm also having these, like, sexual fantasies and these horrible things. And... Um, I told my mission president, I was always telling all my priesthood leaders because (laughs) (laughs) I was just honest. I was just being honest about what I was going through. And and you were supposed to, and they were supposed to help you somehow by telling them they would, you know, give you this prescription and, and, um, you could, you could find. Right. Read the Book of Mormon every day. (laughs) Yeah. Well, how, how many years do you have to do that before you finally say that's not working? Right. But, you know, they were always, nice to me because they could see that I was sincerely trying to change. So what can they say? They can't think I'm a horrible person, right? Uh, yeah, and besides that, you had never done anything. <laughs> I had never done anything. And, 
you know, I did tell, you know, I did finally masturbate on my mission and that was also very devastating. But How, I, you know, how I could you that, not? I mean, I can't even imagine. <laughs> it had been like over a year. <laughs> it, it was just, yeah, finally I just, you know, it just had to happen. Yeah. And then, um, and then, you know, so I told my mission president that and he like, he looked amused, you know, cause <sighs> it was like every, he knew every person every boy or person deals with that right uh -huh, uh -huh. so he was like he's nice about it but he had like really lame advice like he would say like okay what's a food that you really hate that makes you nauseous and so like mussels or something and <laughs> he'd be like well you need to go to the grocery store and get a big bucket of mussels and every time you have a thought about a man just like eat mussels <laughs> <make yourself> sick <laughs> Oh. And that way, eventually, you won't want to think about it because it'll make you sick. Like aversion therapy, isn't that what it's? Exactly. exactly. So did you so, try eating a bucket of mussels? No, I just couldn't bring myself to do that. <laughs> but he also made me stop playing the piano. <gasps> he thought that made you gay? He No, he thought that if I was willing to show the Lord that I was... Gonna, I could sacrifice the one thing that was the most important to me, that that would help show the Lord that I was really trying to change. And um, and then he told me he was going to make me AP before I left my mission, but that didn't happen. So there, then one of my companions, like we almost had sex, and <laughs> I didn't even I didn't even like him. I was just like. What? So sexually charged, and he kind of like came over into my bed and was like laying next to me, and like we were giving each other massages. Uh huh. And then I was just like, "Oh my god, no, I can't do this!" And I like get up and I write President Grant a letter, and I'm like, "I'm about to have sex with my companion." <laughs> was your p and companion gay too? I don't know. Like he was. Uh, Western Samoan, and he didn't speak English that well, so we were mostly communicating through body language uh -huh. anyway, right? So it's hard for me to know whether he was gay or he was just... Very lovey, lovey-dovey. Well, there or was sexual tension, but maybe he just, maybe it's just because he was all, you know, because we couldn't do anything with women, and we were just all, all of us were going crazy. Uh-huh. So... My, the president got my letter, and within, like, two hours, I was shifted out of there. And um, then he put me with, like, one of the APs. So I was, like, assistant to the AP or whatever. And that was Elder And I was even worse than having any sort of sexual attraction. I was in love with him. He was the nicest guy he built me up. He didn't know what happened. He Nobody knew why this emergency sudden shift happened, right? And I had people lined up to baptize, and I was gone. I didn't even get to say goodbye to them. And But he was just like, President Grant says you're going to be famous someday. Like, I hear you're amazing at the piano. I hear you're an amazing missionary. And just, like, always being so nice. And because he was AP, we got to drive around. And this was actually the only time I was outside of Auckland on my mission. And we would, like, drive up to the to the North Islands and drive across this beautiful land together, listen to music in the car. We, like, on this constant road trip. And I just fell head over heels for him. 
and he was handsome and uh-huh. um and that was more devastating than almost having sex because that's when I really knew that I was never going to change as when it, it was the love for him mm-hmm. that that helped me know that I was never going to change it was horrible so so eventually just one night my brain turned off I was in the middle of you know I actually wasn't with Elvis anymore I was with uh, the next companion and I just like in the middle of the night I oh and you know at this point I had also asked President Grant if I could go home because I was done I was like I need to go home and he's like Elder the last thing you want to do is go home and he wouldn't let me go home Mm -hmm. so I think basically you know I wasn't thinking at the time but as I look back on it I was going to do whatever it took to get home and I was going to do something to to get sent home. Mm-hmm. So I I woke up in the middle of the night and I looked up escort in the yellow pages and found the male escort and went and met him at a motel, rode my bike, snuck out, and um, and I don't remember the sex. It was over in like two minutes. <laughs> it was like. And then he held me, and we laid in bed together for, you know, like an hour. And he was just really sweet. And I, to just to be in the arms of somebody strong, with, you know, feel protected like that, um, being able to just, like, run my hands along his jawline or, you know, just snuggle up close to him, it was, you know, I'll never forget it. It was so beautiful. And, um, then at one point he's like, so, you know, asking me about myself and I'm like, I'm a Mormon missionary. And he's like, how did you get here? And I'm like, my bike's outside. And he thought this was all very amusing. Mm-hmm. And, and then he's like, well, what are you going to do now? And I'm like, well, I, I'm sure I'll be going back to America. And he's like, you don't have to tell anyone. And I'm like, there's no way I could be on my mission. Yeah, I could be teaching after this, you know, I would feel like too much of a hypocrite. Mm-hmm. Like, he's like, well, they have a good gay scene in America. And I was like, oh, I just don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. And he put his hand on my heart and he said, you need to listen to your heart. And that was, that was the most amazing thing I had heard in a long time, because here I am on my mission telling everybody the way that you know that what's true is by the feelings in your heart. And it was all about going deep into your heart and and listening to your deepest, still, small voice. And here I was with a man in bed, and my heart felt like it was burning because it felt so beautiful to be with this guy. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really happy that that happened, and it was one of the best things that ever happened to me. So, but then, okay, so I get back on my bike. <laughs> I'm riding back to my apartment. And it's three in the morning. I'm sure my companion's going to be awake. I, you know, I have no idea what's going to happen now. So I get home. He's still asleep. I call Pre- President Grant at three in the morning. And I'm like, President Grant, I'm going back to America. And he says, why? What did you do? And I said, I just had sex with a male prostitute and paid for it with my 
missionary support fund. <laughs> and he said, and "Yep, you're right. You're, <laughs> you're going back." He goes, he, "He still didn't want to send me home. He still wanted me to stay because he knew that if I went home, I was going to leave the church." Mm-hmm. And he did not want me to leave the church. And he know, knew how hard I was trying. And he wrote this letter to my parents and another one to my stake president saying, like, Nate was a great missionary. Don't think of this as a disgrace. He just had some struggles. He's going back with some struggles. But don't think of this as a disgrace because he was a good missionary while he was here. That was nice of him. Yeah, it was super nice, but he's like, well, let me call Salt Lake and I'll call you back. And I was home, you know, they had my flight in two days and we had a zone conference and he's like, I really think you need to, he's like, don't tell them what happened, but I, you need to say something. You can't leave without saying something to the missionaries because they're going to be so confused. Uh-huh. So basically like, you know, at, at zone conference at the end, every single missionary goes, you know, you go down the rows and everybody bears their testimony. So I'm like near, I was set way in the back. And then president Grant says, you know, we're going to start from the back. <laughs> so, so I stood up and I just said, like, I know the church is true, but you know, no matter how good you think you are and no matter how much you follow the rules, just beware because Satan can get you. And and I cried, and then everybody else who bore their testimony after me, well, not like my good friends, they were just like, we love you, Elder Co., and you were a great missionary, and I don't know what happened, but I'll always love you, you know, kind of thing. Uh-huh. And, then, and then I got home, and I met my parents in the airport, and they were like, what did you do? I think they said, like, we love you, what did you do? <laughs> And I was like, I had sex. And they were just like, you know, their faces were just blank. And they just couldn't say anything. And they had this, like, really worried, well, just this really, like, they were back in their heads and they just didn't know what to think. And um, so they drove me straight to the church, straight to talk to the stake president. And he's like, take off your tax, you're released. And um, I didn't know this guy because my parents had moved to Colorado Springs after I went to college. So I had never met this guy. So he didn't know me. And all he knew about me was that I had sex with a prostitute on my mission. Uh-huh. He just thought I was the most horrible, you know, disgusting person. And he just treated me like that. He just, he didn't want to know anything about me. He was just like, we have to have a church court. And um, so he's like, so I don't know if you know, but when you have a church court, you get served a summons. <laughs> <laughs> and so like I go to church my first Sunday back and it's already really hard to deal with because everybody knows I'm home early. You know, it's like mm-hmm. I'd been gone a year. And even though I hadn't met them before, they knew from my parents, you know, or whatever, that they had a son on the mission and he came home early. And so that's really hard to just look anyone in the face, you know. So you and, you were gone on your mission for a year? Yeah, about a year. When, when, Maybe even only nine months or something like that. I thought it was a little longer. See, I started in September and it seems like it was summer when I came back. Okay, so I was already at... BYU, because I started in the summer. That's when it was. 
So, so then we have the church court and, you know, again, it's people that don't know me. And so you're supposed to like, there's people supposed to speak for, I don't know, they draw lots or whatever. And like half of them are supposed to like speak on your defense and half of them are supposed to speak on the church's defense. Really? So I sit there. Yeah. Something like that. And so I sit there and I have to sit there while president like tells them everything I did. And he had asked me like, who did what to who, you know, all the, oh, all the details. Right. Cause it makes a difference whether, you know, I gave oral sex or he gave oral sex or whatever. I don't know. Right. So he sits there and describes the whole sexual act to 12 people while I'm sitting there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then, I don't know if anyone was speaking for me because it didn't sound like they were. <laughs> anyone was. Uh-huh. You know? But they're, you know, the question is, don't you want to have a family? And I'm like, you have no idea how badly I want to have a family. You know, just these asinine questions that obviously they had no idea what I had been trying to do. And it was just really, really disappointing because I knew in my heart that God knew that I was trying my best and I knew that these guys did not know that and they were supposed to be inspired. They were the leaders who were supposed to know God's will. And they were going to judge you. Yeah. And they judged me. They weren't too mean. And I guess, you know, my Bishop, I guess he might've, he could have been nice because they read the letter from my mission president in the church court. So at least I had that. Mm-hmm. And I told him I was still trying to change because at the point, that point I was still thinking I would still try to change. And, um, so they disfellowshipped me. They didn't excommunicate me and they put me back in therapy to change my sexuality. Mm-hmm. And, um, they told me I couldn't play piano for church. What? Cause I was disfellowshipped. So I'd have to sit there, like, you know, priesthood opening exercises, and they'd be like, does anyone play the piano? We need somebody to play the piano so we can Please, sing it Please, anybody. And then somebody's <laughs> plunking out that dong, dong, dong. And, like, and I had to sit there. It was, it was, you know, that's how I worshipped God, was through my music. And that, they took away my ability to worship God in the most, in the way that, helped me and, and, and sustained me. So how, how long did you stay disfellowshipped for? So I got, you know, I couldn't go back to BYU. So basically I tried, I spent a semester in Colorado Springs um, practicing. And then for the winter semester, I auditioned for the music school at CU Boulder. And I got in. And so I started school at CU Boulder. And when I made that transition from Colorado Springs to Boulder, I decided, because, you know, if I had tried that hard for that many years and I was only like 80% gay, but I had clearly come 20% of the way, I would, you know, I would have said, okay, well, I can keep going another, you know, 20 years and then I'll be 100% straight or whatever. Right. This but is, I was still a hundred percent gay. You know? Right. All the effort had had nothing to show for it. Right. Exactly. As far as that went. And just the, just the I just stopped 
connecting the church knowing what God knew about me. And I realized the church did not know what was in my heart and they were judging me. You know, and you could, somebody who's faithful to the church could see my saying that as some sort of justification or some sort of rationalization. But that's what I knew in my heart. I knew that I would always be gay and that I was gay. And you can't know that and believe the church is true at the same time. That's just not an option. Mm -hmm. You don't have that option. Right. I was going to um, say that when I when I found out that you had um, got sent home from your mission, I think you you sent me an email, but you okay. didn't you didn't say why, um, and you didn't tell me why for several months, and I I did I mean I was curious, but you know, and I wanted to know, but I didn't want to know. Um, and then when you when you finally told me, actually you, you you didn't tell me what you were sent home for 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 many years, but you finally told me that you were gay. Um, it wasn't until January after you got home from your mission. Yeah, so, because that's when I came out. So I finally came to came out on it in January. So that makes sense. Yeah, and that that hit me like, I mean, I, how did I tell you? In an email. Um, what did I say? <laughs> well, let, let's see. I did find my journal entry from that day. Oh, really? Or from that week? Yeah, it was like right after my birthday. Um, and you, it said, um, "Let's see." Tuesday, I got an email from Nathan in which he proclaimed that he was gay, and that that's the way he was created, and God loves him for who he is. I wrote back and told him I love him and that I'll always pray for him. I ached inside all week. My love for Nathan is so strong that it literally sickens my body when I learn of his sins and problems. And then I received a, a priesthood blessing um, on Thursday night, and since then I've had peace. Who gave you your Just, bishop at BYU? Or? Um, probably my elders quorum president there, I would okay. think. Um, so, yeah, so, I mean, I, I just felt sick, I guess. Yeah. And I kind of remember, like, being at BYU, because I think I, like, took a pilgrimage back to BYU. <laughs> after that. You surprised me. <laughs> yeah. And then I just remember, like, trying to talk to you about it, and you were trying to understand, you know? Well, like, I mean, I loved you so much, I, I couldn't I couldn't think of you badly, and yet I knew that, you know, from my perspective as a, as a believing Mormon, that it was a sin and that you could change, because that's what I had been taught, so I couldn't, I mean, you know, sometimes I had fantasies that maybe if you just, like, would have sex with a woman, then maybe maybe you could see that, well, that's not so bad. Maybe I could, you know, be straight. So I had fantasies. That's what my mom said, too. Really? Yeah, I had fantasies like I'd, I'd show you my boobs and then <laughs> <laughs> and tell you that, that, you know, you could have sex with me. And all of this, of course, for, you know, for your eternal salvation. <laughs> so that's what I never told you. <laughs> That's hilarious. 
Oh, well, but, that's very sweet of you. Yeah, <laughs> I sacrificed myself. <laughs> it's like kind of touching. But um, for I mean, so so you came out, and you still I mean, you always were happy on the outside, um, and you seemed happy, and you seemed at peace oh, with your decision. I was elated to come out of the closet. <laughs> like it felt so good to finally not hate myself it was a miracle i was i was truly happy for the first time in many 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 years it wasn't just a surface happy but down in my core i was happy through and through and you went and um started going to christian churches right away right because you still had a lot of faith I didn't want to give up the idea of Jesus. I wanted to, I, you know, I knew I couldn't be a Mormon anymore, but I couldn't let go of Jesus. And so, yeah, I started going to Christian churches. Um, oh, did you know you were my last kiss before, <laughs> before I married John? No. <laughs> um, it, was, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't much of a kiss. Um, I'm sure. Uh, no, it was at BYU when you when you came <clears throat> that one time, and it was just when I had s- just started dating John, uh-huh. and um, well, we we always kind of held hands, you and I, and you you would do that with a lot of your friends, um, and so we were holding hands, and a, a mutual acquaintance of John and I saw us holding hands, and he warned John off of me because <laughs> you know I was like gallivanting around with other men <laughs> kind of thing. But then um, when you were re- getting ready to leave, I, I said, yeah, I always wanted to kiss you. And you said, okay. So I just get, gave you a little peck. Uh, that's nice. Oh, yeah, and I also asked you your opinion about John, and you said he's not my type. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. John. But he seems like a nice guy, he said. <laughs> So the years kind of went on. Um, how how long did you keep going to the Christian churches for? Maybe about a year, so and not- then and then eventually I let go of all my religious beliefs because I don't know if you still believe in God, but it's hard to believe in God anymore after you leave the Mormon Church. Yeah, because if something's wrong that they said it puts everything into question and you've done so many you've exerted so much mental effort to force yourself to believe that you really don't have the energy to do that again right you experienced well yeah sort of i mean for a while even still the thought of of like really believing some i mean i just I mean, if the Mormon church isn't true, then I kind of saw it as, like, the the only hope for a true religion. I don't know. I mean, I'm actually kind of feeling sad about this whole thing yesterday and today. I just wish that I could believe. I miss... I miss it in a lot of ways, but there's just... I just can't make myself believe, no matter. Yeah, once you 
You, yeah, once you once you've tried so hard to believe in something and it turned out not to be true, it's just you can't. It's so hard to so hard to believe in anything. Yeah, I remember one time you called, or I called one one of our phone conversations, um, and you were telling me about a book that you had found. You were reading about evolution. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I never. I never really understood all this stuff, but now it it all makes sense. And and what what do you think about evolution? Like you were trying to work it out in your mind about what you thought about it, and that was quite a few years after after you'd stopped going to church at all. Did it take you yeah. a while to kind of work to the point where you where you really didn't believe in God anymore? Yeah, it was a, a several year journey and you know one by one just like the beliefs the word of wisdom was the last thing to go (laughs) really you held on to that the longest yeah because although uh, that reminds me of that story you told about buying that coffee in the grocery store (laughs) yeah well i mean i mean it is a very um kind of obvious um breaking of everything you've ever been taught and and something that you've been taught was was dangerous um, and you, and you know, I kind of wish I had never broken the word of wisdom in a way, because like, really, it's not better than the high that you can get off of life, you know. Well, that's true. And, the, and um, alcohol is very it, disappointing to me. <laughs> For one thing, it doesn't know, taste fun. good. <laughs> I wanted to like, I, I especially wanted to like wine, so I could be, you know, sophisticated and. And talk about the nuances of the of the f- different flavors in wine, but it just doesn't taste good to me. Does it taste good to you? Yeah, I mean, I'm probably you know, I drink alcohol, I drink whatever. I mean, I have you know, that's what normal people do in life. So right. Um, but yeah, no, I guess it doesn't taste good. It's just nice. It just you know relaxes you and makes mm-hmm. you know social lubricant and whatever. But well, it definitely has a a purpose. I just thought the way people talked about it that it would taste good. You thought it would taste like heaven. Yeah. <laughs> and coffee, I thought coffee would taste good because <laughs> it smelled so good. Oh, I know, I know, and it does taste good when it's mixed with a lot of sugar and milk sugar and, and cream. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> When it turns into a dessert, then I like it. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know how I could have ever been in college without coffee because it, it's essential now for me in the morning. But It makes me jittery, so I can't even... I have to drink decaf if I drink it, and, you know, that's not as fun. It's not as tasty. No. Um, let's see. There were a few more things... So let me tell you how I was finally excommunicated. Oh yeah, I, so, I forgot that I forgot you were excommunicated. Yeah, so um, my parents kept giving the church my address whenever I changed apartments in Boulder or whatever, and so like home teachers would come over, and I would like stand there at the door and I'd be like, "Look, I'm gay. I'm out of the closet. I don't believe in the church." And yet they would still come back because my parents would call them and say, "Have you been over to visit Nathan?" <laughs> Whatever. Uh-huh. So, 
So finally, the only way I could get them to stop was I wanted to take my name off the records of the church. And um, so I wrote a letter to the church saying, you know, God loves me the way I am. And they sent me a letter back saying, you need to talk to your local priesthood leader for this. And then um, so I sent the letter to President you know, saying... I want my name removed off the records of the church. And he said, I wasn't worthy to take my name off the records of the church because I was disfellowshipped. What? I know. It doesn't make any sense, does it? He's I like, we think, have to... What? I don't think that's true. I mean, I don't... Okay. Legally, I don't think they have any grounds there. Yeah, I don't think so either. But he was like, we have to have another church court. Uh, and I was like... I was like, if I don't show up, do I accident, do I automatically get excommunicated? <laughs> he was like, probably. I was like, okay, well, you have your church court. Have fun. Do what you need to do. And um, he wrote me a letter eventually saying, you know, you're excommunicated, not for being gay. That's not the, what they said, but because I was teaching false doctrine by saying that God loved me the way <laughs> I was. And that was heresy. Oh, my so now I like to tell people, like, I'm officially a heretic. Isn't that cool? <laughs> wow, that's <laughs> I, I'm amazing. actually kind of proud of that. <laughs> I, I think that they were, um, I mean, totally out of line not letting you resign when you asked to. I mean, it's a voluntary organization. Yeah, he probably made that up, or he thought that for some reason. But yeah, I think what no, they I'm did. I'm actually was... glad. I, I I'm actually glad that happened because I like being excommunicated because people think that's cool. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just sounds so harsh, you know, <laughs> excommunicated. Well, it is. So. It is harsh, but by that time, you like you said, you were already ready to to take your yeah. name off. So, not a big yeah. blow. No, it was exciting. <laughs> so okay, so. Let's go back, because you said to me in an email that eventually you did come to terms with my being gay. and So let's talk about that. Well, it took years of internal struggle and turmoil. I mean, it, I mean, it might seem strange to you that, that it was such a big deal to me, but I mean, I thought about it every day for years and tried to figure out either some way that I could magically, like, help you change, or um, I I just couldn't figure it out. And I remember one time I was working at a hospital, and uh, we had pop machines to give pop to the patients, not, not like they need pop, but um, <laughs> um, there was a sign on, on, you know, on one of the, on one of the spouts and it said out of order. And I remember thinking, wow, that's, that's what I thought about you being gay, that it was just out of order that, you know, it, it just kind of messes up the whole order of everything. There's supposed to be a man and a woman. They get sealed together. They have children and they, you know, that's how the whole, the plan of salvation is, is based on a man and woman. Um, and I, and it was just so hard for me to understand and to come to terms with. Because it doesn't make any sense. It, you know, it, it really doesn't. No. Um, but I think finally when you told me about um, how 
the sex that you had, um, especially on your mission, that wasn't the important part. The important thing that meant a lot to you was was cuddling with a man and um, and being held by a man and and also being in love with a man. Like for for a long time, I kind of justified um, your being gay as well. You know, anybody anybody could be gay because sex feels good to everybody. You can have sex with anybody or basically anything, and it would feel good. Um, and I also explored my own, um, like, you know, am I bisexual? Because could I could I be gay? And when I finally came to the conclusion that no, I could not be gay. I I would not want. I could not be in love with a woman. I would not want to cuddle a woman and be held by a woman, and and stuff like that. That's when I finally got it. When I finally understood what being gay meant and how 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 um how you felt. So, um, did you at that point accept it? Yeah, well, by the time, I mean, I couldn't get to that point until after I had already had um, my own doubts with the church. Because before that, it wasn't even an option to say, that's okay. Being gay is okay. You know, because when I was a believer... You can't think that's okay if you believe in the Mormon church. That's just not possible. No, so it wasn't until after I left that I that I was finally able to understand and accept and say, yeah, Nathan's gay and that's, that's just the way he is. And there's nothing, (laughs) there's nothing wrong with it even like why, why should he have to change it? And I hope that he, that he finds someone, you know, to, to love and. Which I never did. (laughs) You're still young. Uh, Yeah. I had like three boyfriends in my life and, uh, I just couldn't, I'm such an independent person that I couldn't, um, I ended up feeling trapped. And I think after, after it has something to do with being Mormonism and leaving where I just couldn't commit to something forever. I just couldn't believe in something forever. And so all three of them, like after a year and a half, I just left because I wasn't ready for forever. Mm-hmm. And now I didn't I haven't dated anyone in many years, really like seven, eight, or something. And it's like a little part of myself is dead. It's really sad. And um, but I moved back to Colorado in November and. I really feel like this is my home and I bought a house and I'm feeling more domestic now. (laughs) And I'm really hoping that I will find someone that I just naturally love. I don't have to try hard. I don't have to force myself. It's just something that happens. And I get to cuddle. I don't even, I could live without sex for the rest of my life. I don't care. I just wish I had someone still to, to cuddle with. I'm with you on that one. I mean, <laughs> sex is great and all, but that that's not the most important thing of a of a relationship. Right. Um, so, so I have lots of gay friends who are in relationships, and they seem to be happy. It's just that I haven't been able to, to find that yet. But well, like I said, I feel like I'm coming back to 
myself by coming back to Colorado. And, I mean, you are young, you're only 35, and there's a lot of many heterosexual people who find love after, you know, it's an, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I, I, you're saying there's nothing wrong with me. Yeah, there's nothing <laughs> wrong with you, and it'll, it'll come if you want it to. But, and, um, I do, and I want to have a kid. I really do. Like, I'm around my nieces and nephews all the time now since I came back, and they are so cute. I love watching them learn something. Like, you can see when they make a connection for the first time, something that seems so simple, like, oh, I can pass something from one hand to the other <laughs> or whatever, you know? And it's just so amazing to see a child grow up and... I would like to have that experience, but I could never do that on my own. I need to have a partner if I was ever going to attempt that in, in some way through adoption or surrogate mother or who knows, something like that. Well, I've always thought that you would be a great dad, so I hope that happens for you sometime. Um, well, thank you so much, Nate, for um, sharing your story and having this conversation with me today. It was really good to talk to you. You too. And um, for our listeners, the discussion continues on the website at mormonexpression.com. <laughs> <laughs>